Hungry Trilobite Podcast would like to start by acknowledging these fine conventions. SoonerCon. Despite the pandemic, Central Oklahoma's longest-running pop culture convention is back. They will hold their next event in June of 2022. To support them, fans and artists have rallied together on their Kickstarter, which you can visit. The Kickstarter will run through February 2nd. Go to SoonerCon.com for more details. The Hellmouth Convention. The Hellmouth Convention is a celebration of all pop culture, but specifically things like Buffy, Angel, Firefly, and Dr. Horrible. It is held in Los Angeles, California, and the next event is scheduled for June 3rd through 5th, 2022. Proceeds benefit the Los Angeles LGBT Center as well as the Ron Glass Memorial Scholarship Fund. For more information, go to thehellmouth.org. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today's episode dovetails quite nicely to the concept of fans for healing. You'll find that on social media with the hashtag fans and the number four, healing. This is a conversation where we discuss how fandom has helped people get a better grasp on their mental health in various ways. Today's guest is Allison Church, and she has written a number of novels which I definitely want to talk about. And she is also going to mention how her love of Star Trek helped her deal with some very difficult problems in her life, and the emotional intelligence she's gained from the show has really paid off. Let's get started with Allison Church. On tap today, we have Allison Church. How are you doing today? I am doing well, thank you. I'm so glad to have you here. We have had so much fun the last couple of weeks, because first of all, I've been reading one of your books, been having a great time it's dark passenger (laughs) oh good it's my favorite it has made my commute much more pleasant i've been i want to get into the 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 details of that but also since we became friends on facebook we have been weaving in and out of the same star trek groups and that has been a lot of fun to compare notes on that front yes i love star trek so i mean we might get into that a little bit too but your books are if i call them pulpy would you be offended no Okay, good. Because I don't want you to be. No, I'm having no, fun no. because of that. It reminds me of like a, a quasi Indiana Jones type of adventure. Good, good. Um, the uh, Dark Passenger one specifically, I tried to um, copy the flavor of an Amicus or Hammer horror film. And also, I love the Tales from the Crypt uh, um, genre. And I love the uh, cover art because it copies that dead, dead, dead on and it was just wonderful to do it was fun work okay and that's i can definitely see where that's coming from there i was an anthology fan myself twilight zone outer limits so yeah. i'm following there actually tales from the crypt because i didn't have hbo back in the day just kind of skipped by me oh well uh, mostly when i say tales from the crypt i'm referring to the ec comic era mm-hmm. As I, I'm also a comic book nerd. I love comic books. I love the art. There's certain uh, characters that I like that were done by certain people. Swamp Thing being the best of them. Bernie Wrightson was a genius. I'm glad I got to meet him. Mm-hmm. I'm a little young for the original run of Tales from the Crypt comics, but there's a really good anthology uh, trade paperback that I'd like to pick up, and then I'm probably going to do some catch up then. Cool. <laughs> 
So what gets you into this type of fiction? Why does this, why does this draw to you? It uh, sort of resurrects and reawakens the uh, nine-year-old in me who on Saturday nights or Friday nights in some areas would watch these Friday fright night local um, TV hosts that would introduce you to fantastic movies, although B minus C rated, were an adventure to someone who didn't really know what life was at the moment. And it's a good way to pass a Friday night. And some of them scared the gajibis out of me. And I love that feeling. I never did. And I think that's why Crypt wasn't my main draw because I, I would watch Twilight Zone and that would be mm -hmm. compelling, yeah. but it wouldn't be scary usually. There were a couple of episodes that definitely crossed the line. But why do you like that feeling? What, what, what is it about it? Yes, um, I like the, um, the alertness and the primal instinct that kicks into place once you're afraid. Everything becomes keener. Um, you, you wrap your knees up like this and you kind of peek at the screen, you know what's gonna happen, you, you're scared, but you wanna watch it because there's either a character that you invested your time in or you identify with, or in some cases like me, when I'm watching a movie, I will imagine myself being one of those characters and try to vicariously live that plot while the character is enacting it. It's, it, to me, it, it was, that, that made television more three-dimensional for me when I was a child, still does today. In Dark Passenger, there's a line, and I'm not going to get the wording exactly right, but you, you say that some a, a worker works faster when they're afraid, or they work more con concentrated when they're afraid. I'm, I'm thinking that's where you're pulling that experience from. Yes, yes. Um, there's not a one of us who at one time or the other had a job that they either loved or didn't particularly like. But the minute the big guy walks in, you pay attention because he's the one that signed your checks. <laughs> You actually become more keener, you work faster, and you try to smile a little bit more, project a little bit more. Um, why we do that, I couldn't tell you, but it, it's an exciting feeling sometimes, most of the time. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely see that. I, it's the, the idea of having something primal in a setting that is, you know, the, now we have this very romantic idea of what the Titanic was, which is the setting for the book. Yes. And and to mix that up with some horror, um, that that's just, that's very clever. I like turning ideas on their head. So do I. Uh, I like seeing things from a different angle. Mm -hmm. And so, before you wrote the book, is there a certain reason you picked that particular setting? Well, um, I had got the inspiration for it back in the eighties. Yes, I'm that old. <laughs> Um, I, I am too. It's okay. Yeah. It was about 1985. And this was a couple years after we discovered the wreck of the Titanic, which the discovery itself made my, you know, imagination go wild. Um, there was a live television program that was on. I was living in Los Angeles at the time. And it was hosted by the late, great Telly Savalas. And it was called Return to the Titanic. And they were talking about all kinds of artifacts that they brought up. They were getting ready to open up a assistant purser's safe on it. And my mind was just going crazy. And then uh, Mr. Savalas mentioned an old uh, tale about the curse of the mummy's case. Uh, 
I did not know, but there was a mummy's case that was supposed to be on the uh, Titanic in the cargo hold going to the New York Museum of Natural History. And that planted a seed in my mind. And after a while, and I did some research and the London Museum did have a case that they considered cursed and, and it was buried in the basement. And there were always like bangs and clanks and other disturbances coming from the downstairs, but no one in the staff had the uh, nerve to go down and investigate. So I took this little thing and uh, I added steroids to it. And at the same time, there was a 1922 British newspaper article written 10 years after that uh, said about the same thing, that uh, the Titanic was the victim of a mummy's curse. And it, one thing just led to another and being a fan of old uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle-like uh, stories and like I said, amicus films and hammer horror films, I'm going, you know, nobody's ever done a horror novel on the Titanic because the vehicle itself would keep them glued because they all know what happens in the end. And from there, I created Dark Passenger. It's, it's fascinating. And it's, it's neat to know there's just enough truth to it to make it something that you can imagine actually happening. That oh, takes yeah, it to a helped. whole new level. That helps. That helps. It, it, uh, it made the juices flow. It was fun. While I was writing it, uh, I'm sure everybody has this problem that my fingers could not keep up with the words that my mind was creating. It was so much fun. I tend to have the problem that there often aren't words for exactly what I'm trying to convey. And I either have to go through my mental thesaurus or sometimes just make them up and both have disastrous results sometimes. <laughs> sometimes disastrous results can be fun. I had a similar fascination with the Titanic, but not for, I, I there were a lot of psychic phenomenon and coincidences and paranormal phenomenon around the Titanic, I'm, as I'm sure you're aware, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, yes. Yes. but that those are the stories that I really liked. And there was an episode of One Step Beyond back in the yes. day. Yes. It was called April 15th, I believe. Yes. I watched that episode over and over. And the thing is, even though it was newish information at the time and is a very old show now, most of it is they haven't added a whole lot more to the story. There's not a whole lot more facts to add to it. Mm -mm. The, the only uh, fact that uh, was interesting to me is that when, um, before the ship set sail, there was a certain bump in the command structure. And uh, the first officer was, he wasn't fired, but he was immediately uh, transferred over to the RMS Olympic, which was the Titanic's older sister ship. And in his haste to get off the ship, he took the key to the binocular uh, cabinet that belonged to the Titanic. So even if the Titanic could get to its looking glasses, the cabinet was locked. There was no way they could get into it. So it's little stuff like that, little um, consequences and actions and inactions that uh, make history to me very fascinating. It is. And you know, we, we, like I said, having a key in the wrong pocket can change the course of history. That, yes. And we have no idea how often that actually happens. But people, we think our, our lives, you know, the decisions we make don't amount to anything. But sometimes the decisions we don't make can be just as consequential. Yeah, the Catholics call that sins of omission. 
True. It's a pretty, it's a pretty good uh, title. So we, when I'm looking at some of the things that you're putting together on the internet, your Facebook post, your Star Trek post, we have briefly talked about how you, you processed a lot of, of emotional turmoil through watching Star Trek. Yes. Um, it's a, to me, I mean, people, some people, when they look at, or you say the word Star Trek, they're thinking the person who dresses up in a uniform and goes to conventions has a triple on their shoulder, like a, like a space pirate and, you know, does weird. Yep, gestures that's me. Stuff. Okay. That, that's me too. But there are some people who don't understand that, that intimidates them. What I love about Star Trek is the fact that the ships, no matter what ships you are and what uh, uh, series, it's not that, that's what we're exploring. We're exploring humanity and our need to improve who we are, how we perceive people through um, prejudice and um, first contact. It's very human. And it helps me actually through the voyage I'm going through now being transgender and learning to adapt to people's misunderstandings, preconceived ideas, prejudice. And sometimes they're just afraid because they do not understand because their gender is what they were given at birth. This is the status quo. This is what you are. And to have someone come along and go, no, it's a redo time. Let's hit the button, reset button again, is, is an alien concept to them. And I like living um, those strong conflicts and emotions vicariously through fictional characters. And when we do that, it gives us some freedom to deal with some of the best and worst parts of our lives because we're free from the idea that these things have consequences. Yes, and it's also a very liberating thing that while you're watching this through the character, it's not really affecting you and the cause and effect of the storyline and how they perceive it and interact in it. Um, is an unknown adventure, but at the same time, you get it. Mm -hmm. Or just pick one example out of the mist here. Uh, the end of Wrath of Khan, when Spock is you know, dying and Kirk realizes he's dying and they have that moment that I'm about to lose my best friend. You know, yeah. I'm watching this at nine years old and I've not had that experience. But- I, I cried. Sure. <laughs> when you know when you can imagine what it must feel like you can start to brace yourself for what it must feel like and suddenly you know 10 15 years later whenever the case may be when you do have that experience you started to build up some tools inside you to start to process it, it of course it's going to hurt worse when it's actually a real person in your yes. real life but this isn't your first the emotions have already been played with and built up long before you had the experience You've had the wonderful opportunity to, to build a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And okay. fiction does that. Fiction does that. I love fiction. One of the reasons I love it is because fiction is a tutorial of life, a cliff note, if you will. I like that. You're getting to the point where you start, especially with Star Trek, having these different worlds, these different peoples, where we just completely redefine what life is over and over and over again. It, it's a way of, of making us think, 
you know, if I was in this completely different situation, how would I react? We, we ask ourselves that with almost every episode. Oh, yeah. Well, that's one part of the human adventure. I mean, discovering who you are, how you cope with it, and suddenly realizing that you have the mechanisms to survive, even if you know you did not, you know, possess them is a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing. And it's stuff they cannot teach in school. If they could, I'm not sure I'd want them to. Because no. when, when no. it comes to how to live your life and what life's about, I don't want somebody standing in front of 30 kids giving that answer. No, no, no. I think emotions are as about as individual to me as DNA. And I think that's one thing that I mentioned on a, a previous episode with, with Larry Hankin, that we, one of the reasons we get into conflict with some relatives at times is through their love, they might be giving you the wrong message inadvertently. But the yes. reason it is, is that was the right message for them. It's not the right message for you. And I believe that one should respect the fact that someone took the time to do that. You do not have to agree with it. Right. Uh, but the way that you handle it... Uh, will either be chaos or detente. <laughs> so when you're feeling, uh, when you're taking these voyages now, is there a certain series that you're going to or a certain type of fiction? I, um, I am still a classic. I like the original series. Um, I also, oddly enough, like Star Trek Discovery. Um, I would like to see on whatever Star Trek platform Paramount or CBS would like to entertain. I would like to see, because of my own self-interest, I would like to see a transgender character where there's been a character on the show who's been alpha, alpha male since episode one. And then in the middle of a season goes into the doctor's office and says, I would like to continue serving the Federation, but as a woman. And the reason, I mean, I'm sure that in the 23rd slash 24th century, this is commonplace, but would be what would be interesting to me as a storyteller and as a fellow transgender is the uh, machinations or the, the muscle memory of the ship and how they deal with this crewman's new identity. Because when I, when I changed over, there were many a times when I was talking to people who would call me by my dead name and I'd gently push them to the right proper pronoun and name and some of them would keep doing it and then i would finally get to that point where i'd go really doesn't any of this make any sense does this tell you something <laughs> and i would like to see the uh, because even though the federation is you know advanced and all that stuff you cannot unless you're a vulcan uh, control your human emotions and also we got to realize these people do have prejudices, but they've been trained to, you know, accept things under the Federation philosophy. I would like to see the, the interactions of the crew and this crew member who also has to deal with the fact and the dynamic that her whole universe has done a complete 180. I think that would be fascinating. I'm surprised that none of them have thought of doing it. Now they do have uh, people on certain shows who have alternative lifestyles and that's a wonderful thing to explore but i would like to see something from my spectrum even if it's selfish of me to say so 
Well, my perspective is, and I would say this about any suggestion you would make, if you want to see that, I want you to have it. It doesn't matter if, if it's my thing or you know, if I think it's popular. If, if you want to see it as a fan, I want you to have it. That would be well, great. Have you heard of Star Trek Aurora? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Okay, there's not much to see. Um, and the, there were two episodes. There may be a third now. It takes a long time. It's a fan series. The second episode gets close-ish to what you're talking about. I'll try to find a way to link it in the show notes. Uh, so and you would probably be interested in seeing it just as a fan effort. Yeah. Um, the last episode of the original series kind of did that and touched on that too. It's called Turnabout Intruder. And Kirk traded places with an ex-girlfriend and uh, she was Fruit Loops. <laughs> but it, it kind of, and I remember William Shatner once said that I was given this script where in the script, he goes, excuse me, am I supposed to be Kirk with a woman inside him? And they said, yeah, yeah, we're just going to do the personality switch over. And he goes, <laughs> I mean, it was, a, it was an extremely alien concept, especially in the 1960s. But it was a brave move for them to make, albeit it was the last episode. Do want to ask based on what you're you're saying here, and I'm asking because I don't know. Okay. One of the reasons the trills specifically exist were that was the way they could start exploring these issues within the confines of the 80s. That was how they started working in the LGBTQ concepts because you couldn't get it on TV in the 80s. You couldn't just have those characters on there. But it was Star Trek. They were trying it within the means to to where is the difference what is the gain to actually having a legitimate literal trans character on the show as opposed to because some people are going to say and i'm not saying this but some people are going to say well the reason the trill exists is so they can have those kinds of characters what would be your answer to that i would i would humbly suggest that uh the trill also when you hear when you hear Dax talk about all the uh, lives that she lived, and she's been both male and female, and one psychotic, um, this adds to her or the Trill's personality. Um, they introduce themselves. I mean, they go through their like screening process, which takes a lot of time. But we find out later that that's all a bunch of hoopla because anybody can have a Trill. Um, we are more than our personality we are the sums of our experiences disappointments and imperfections and i would believe that going through a timeline and experiencing other forms of life it will help them improve on what they already have makes sense and again i'm asking because i i legit don't know but i think it's it's a good question just to kind of clarify why we do want these characters on there. It's a form of uh, allowing, I think people, you know, you got, there's everybody, there's somewhere right now watching TV, there's a child who um, deeply wishes through concepts we don't understand or grasp right now, but they want to escape. And what better way to escape than in a character like Doctor Who, 
who has been so many different people and have done so many different and separate and significant adventures in each uh, rendering that he was. And to accumulate all this experience and be so, I'm not going to say godlike, but all-knowing, kind of like uh, uh, Zeus or Odin, you know, someone who it's human nature to look towards someone else and say, how can you help me? What should I do? What are my options? This is just above my head. Can you give me some kind of answer? I really do think I want to wonder what it's like, you know, for a kid today to be watching something like this and to, to start to soak up all this information, to start to soak up all these possibilities because kids, they, get so intent on it they take it so seriously which is a good thing they they, yes. they really look at it as if this is fact that this 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 is a literal truth that they're looking at here because they see what the show is trying to accomplish in very direct terms yes there's nothing more powerful in my opinion than a child's imagination i mean when a kid comes up to you and they they give you a sack of Legos and they say, this is a, a, a steamboat. In their mind, it literally is a steamboat. There is no doubt. There is no hesitation that they, they have committed to that. Yeah. Um, imagination is a very important thing. Um, one of the things that I do, especially when I go back and revisit the book and I'm reading it, because I'll reread it to you know, keep it fresh in my memory. I have this stick where I'll uh, actually make myself, as I'm writing it, one of the characters. In every single one of my books, either a male or a female, when you're reading that character, you're reading me. I am that person. Um, since you're reading Dennis Parker, have you guessed who I was? Okay. Um, I was saying that one of the things that helped my imagination, especially today, an exercise I do, is that in every book I write, one of the characters, either a male or a female, is actually me in the book. I, I have this picture of the book as I'm writing it as a movie. And as I'm writing it, these characters are doing their thing. And I'm actually one of the characters. And that's what makes it so alive for me. Um, even in uh, Dark Passenger, I am one of the characters. Take a guess of which one. I was trying on that. I really was. And my thought is. Are you the. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the names right now. Um, are you. I love it when people do this. <laughs> okay, I'm glad because I'm feeling a little embarrassed here. Oh, don't don't feel embarrassed. This is this keeps the um, dialogue between me and the reader very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, you want me to tell you, or do you want to wait? I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna take one stab at it, okay. only because the are you the mummy? No. Okay. Too simple. <laughs> I, I thought so, and that's why I didn't jump to it. But it's like I. The, the really curious, not politically polite part of me said, yeah, you got to go for it. Ask. 
No problem. I, I okay. appreciate that. I appreciate it. Actually, I'm more, I'm, I'm Dennis. Okay. And at that time I wasn't Allison. I was my dead name. And um, when I, I don't know why it was out of fear, but mostly I, I did things where I would be the male. And I have that duality that I have to constantly deal with. And that's one way for me to make a separate piece with it. And I think in that, that book, I think is probably the last book where I was actually a male character in the book. But some of my mischievousness, not so much my cruelty, I don't, I mean, I consider myself a pacifist, but uh, some of uh, Kari, um, the mummy, is possibly in me, but mostly the part of her being wrong, which is a whole different story. If you're a pacifist, a gentle-natured person, someone who truly wants to put kindness out there, I don't think it's out of character for you to want to enact somebody who is motivated by violence and cruelty because you're no. just processing those thoughts. Yeah, it's, it's I think, as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle once said, that it is impossible for anyone to create a character where they do not possess at least some of the uh, personality quirks and attributes of that character themselves. And he was a very linear, logical person, and creating Sherlock Holmes was effortless for him. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, if it's coming from you, if you're drawing on your experiences, your thoughts, your perceptions, your misperceptions. I mean, I, I think that that's part of the idea, and that's something people don't think of is that when authors create characters and stories, their mistakes and their their misideals become part of that stories, and that's not a bad thing. No, no. Uh, one of the things that I subconsciously put in that book, and I didn't really spot it till somebody pointed it out to me, was the fact that this takes place during what Mark Twain called the Gilded Age, where people worshipped rich people, wealthy people. And the class separation by itself was, uh, you know, a point of the book that... Uh, intrigued a lot of people, like one of the main characters, the Scotland Yard investigator, he was on the Titanic, but he was from second class. Mm -hmm. and he had people constantly reminding him that he was amongst his betters and you should watch his P's and Q's. But of course, him being him, you know, he didn't like the wealthy and the pampered anyway. So he was definitely on the wrong ship. I can't tell you how many times I, I love cruises, by the way. So, I mean, the, the Titanic is one of those things that I, I do think of with, with some romance, but people still have the idea that that's the way travel is now. I'm like, no, it hasn't been that way for about a century because people aren't going to pay a lot of money to be treated like garbage. True, true. And relatively speaking, third class steerage, they all paid what in their world was a fortune. Yeah, it's so it's it's just interesting that, you know, you some things have changed so much. Some things have not. Yeah, I, I see some of this and at the same time. I think just the the primal urge to get on a boat and see the world has been the same since we were in caves. Yeah, since the Vikings. I mean, mm -hmm. we all want to see what's beyond the event horizon, mm -hmm. which takes us right back to the Enterprise. 
Yes. To, to boldly go. I, I mean, we're looking at this, you, you talk about the primal urge, the primal fear. It's almost like the things we started off talking about, uh, the Tales from the Crypt being the most basic fear and, and uh, the complete lack of optimism and Star Trek being the, the best case scenario. I mean, yes. do we really think we can do that? No, but we can try and get closer. Yes. Um, you know, like the values we have now would horrify us if we all went into a time machine and went back 200 years. And I honestly believe that 200 years from now, the values and the human condition, if they came back to our time, they would say the same thing. We would go, okay, what's wrong with what I'm doing? Because mm -hmm. we are a product of our time. Yes. Uh, they have the benefit of hindsight. You know, anybody in the future has the benefit of hindsight. We don't. The only hindsight we have is relative to our past. We can look at uh, slavery and bigotry and uh, all the ugly things that humanity has and go, this is wrong. And we've done things to change it and we're doing better. However, 200 years from now, they'd probably look at us and go, I don't think so, Huckleberry. <laughs> and that's fair. Yes, but it is very fair. You, you're right, hit it right in the head that we're a product of our time and we forget how far back time goes. Um, just to pick slavery as being one example. It's horrible. We all know it's horrible. We're glad it's not legal anymore. There's still problems it created. But yes. it was the part of human condition for 5,000 plus years. Yes. We countless generations grew up with it. It doesn't get thrown out the window overnight. We'll, we'll deal no. with the problems probably for another 5,000 years. I would not doubt it. Yeah. And it's possible that there's going to be some issues that don't even exist right now or don't even come close to being on the table but if we went into the future and saw them we'd probably be like we like i said a, so much of a product of our time and it would be so alien and out of color you know out of focus that we would go simply like that we would have a brain freeze i, I think that that's something that people who with the best of intentions, want to change the world. That's what I'm trying to do here is change the world. One conversation at a time, getting people together who are good people who deserve good company. We tend to lose sight of the fact that things don't just change overnight because we have thousands of years of momentum behind them. The worst things are there, not because we like them, but because they've just been there longer than we've been here. Yes. Um, the only thing I can tell people who do not like their current situation just dare to dream yes or explore the possibilities of the what might what, what might happen what what could happen what will happen and see if you can make a course between those three wills and make them a now now is very important to uh, quote uh, Jean-Luc Picard now will never come again. So enjoy it while it's here. I should leave it there because that's <laughs> probably the best place to leave this conversation. Okay. Allison, this has been great. I would love to have you back anytime whatsoever. You have plenty more books for me to go through. So I have more to discuss on that front. But where can people 
read your books, follow your adventures, and find out more about what you're all about. Okay, great. Um, I am available on Amazon. Um, when you look me up, you will have to do it under my dead name because most of my books, I've got 17 novels out there. 16 of them are written under my dead name. Um, you can look me up under, you can look me up under Donald Allen Kirch, K-I-R-C-H. And there will be a picture of me there, my current picture of me. And I've written like Dark Passengers under that name. I um, have decided to make uh, my original name a DBA. They are going to be my so-called Richard Bachman books. Everything else from now on be under Allison Church. Allison, I have one novella called Keeper at the Gates, and that can be looked up under my chosen name, Allison Church. And I also have a website, uh, donaldallenkirch.com, one word. I'm working on getting that changed. <laughs> but uh, that also has links to all my uh, books. There's book readings on there. There's also book trailers. So if you like watching book trailers, they're all on the front page. And I would just love to hear from you guys. I mean, the feedback that I get is wonderful. It's marvelous. The support I get for my life choices has been fantastic. Occasionally, there's been a bump in the road, but what highway doesn't have them? And be the best that you can be. And while you're doing it, kindly take people's advice, but at the same time, realize that you have, you have drawn this map and you have chosen the course that you want to take. If, if you believe in those two things, anything is possible. Thank you so much for being here. I've really enjoyed this. Let's have you back as soon as we can. All you have to do is ask. I would like to thank Allison for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. This has been a big deal because the conversation I had today is exactly the kind of thing that made me start Fans for Healing and made me want to hear more people's stories. There are so many people I've talked to at conventions and in real life and on social media who have said that they have such a big takeaway in terms of mental health from things like Star Trek, Stargate, MST3K. All of these things have been very beneficial to people, and Allison's story is a great example of why. If you have a story like this or you know somebody who does, please reach out to me. You can email me at bossigpodcast at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at Aaron Bossig. And to catch more of these stories, please subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you listen to, be that Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. And if I have missed one, please let me know. Reach out to me and say, hey, I listened to this on a certain podcast platform and Hungry Trilobite isn't on there. I will take care of that. Thank you so much and we'll see you next time.